The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Katie Anderson. Katie, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am excited to share with you and some quality people today, Jarvis. All right, wonderful. Thank you very much. And Katie, we love to start every show with getting our positive affirmations going. So I would love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or a leadership mindset um, that resonates with you personally, but tell us why it appeals to you and also how do you apply it on a daily basis? Yep. So the quote I'm going to share is actually one from my father who passed away nearly four years ago, and he was a healthcare leader. He was an orthopedic surgeon who um, ended up, you know, getting opportunities to be a senior leader at the Kaiser Permanente Health System here in California. And his quote wasn't necessarily directly related to leadership, but it was around a mindset around um, our lives, but it can apply to leadership too. And his motto was, today is a great day. So even when you're having challenges, even when times were hard, um, he had ALS and he ended up dying of that. How can you find the good moments in the day and anchor on the good, anchor on the positive, and uh, in that focus on how can you make today a great day um, really can help transform your whole experience. And it's not to mean that uh, you can't acknowledge things being challenging or hard or sad, but when we can shift our mindset to how is today a great day, uh, we can achieve so much more. Um, and actually then it connects also to the book and we can talk about that uh, as well because Mr. Isao Yoshino had a very similar mindset as well. So I'm excited oh. for today being a great day with you here. No, that's, that's a great way to start off a great day and a great conversation with you because, you know, as I asked you that, Katie, just from my research of you, I was like, I wonder what she's going to pull because um, as we talk about your book more, I mean, you strike me as a person that just has so many impressive principles and leadership mindsets. So I was really curious to see where you're going to go with that. So um, I love that to start the show and I appreciate you for that. Um, let me move you to the next question, Katie, which is really just an introduction of you to our audience of quality people. So I would love if you could share um, with us a little bit about you, the work that you're leading, your professional background, and what led you into this career path. Great. Well, I, uh, I, my career started in healthcare, so that you know, I was really excited to come on this podcast in particular and talk with um, with your audience. I originally started my career in healthcare policy thinking that I was going to impact things on a global, a global scale. And I have my master's in public health and was doing academic policy research. But what was missing for me was the tangible connection to, uh, to people and to feeling and seeing the actual improvement. So through some career trajectories, I moved into working in healthcare operations in process improvement and continuous improvement roles and grew in seniority over different years and learned a tremendous amount, which I hope we'll dive into today, and ultimately started my own consulting practice seven years ago with the intention of being able to help not only healthcare organizations, but uh, others as well, and really focusing on the, the leadership behaviors and competencies to lead, lead with intention to help create a learning organization. Um, and then serendipitously through that time, my family also moved to Japan for my husband's job. And as a process improvement and lean practitioner, I was thrilled by that. And I know we're gonna dive into that as well, but 18 months in Japan has been transformative um, in my life. Japan's intricately wo woven into my life fabric. 
um, for two reasons. I love Japan and I lead learning trips to Japan for leaders. Except obviously not right now with the pandemic, uh, but I will when we are able to travel uh, safely again. And then uh, more profoundly is the relationship I've developed with Isao Yoshino, who was a 40-year Toyota leader and John Shook's first manager at Toyota. And uh, I have had the honor and privilege to become close personal friends with him and also to dive into his leadership memoirs and which is which is which has become the book learning to lead leading to learn and uh so that and, and now i'm back in the us i'm based in california and you know i i teach i speak i um coach and i'm also now a published author and it's been three months since the book's been out so uh lots to talk about but that's who i am and i and i love to connect with people around the world so you can feel my energy around that it just makes me happy well, and I absolutely feel it. And um, Katie, I was just sharing with you as as we got onto the call here. Um, I have followed your path. I, I can't remember exactly when we connected on LinkedIn, but just again, you know, an observer from a distance. Um, I'm happy to say that you are doing so many things that I would love to get into personally, um, professionally for my own business and the things that I'm working on career-wise. Um, I like to, uh, I mean, so many things going on and so many different things, I'm like jotting down notes. Um, for, for our audience, really quickly, I would love if you could just take a second and maybe talk about the transition that you made from a healthcare professional into entrepreneurship to start your own consulting business. Um, I, again, maybe just one or two takeaways. What was that experience like? And for any um, other healthcare leaders, myself included, um, a lessons learned, like do this, don't do that really quickly um, from your learning experience with that. So, you know, it was not an ex uh, a pathway that I initially set out with. I mean, I, I, I know I always had the goal to sort of be, either working for myself or, you know, I've always had the goal of helping as many people as possible. And there was uh, just a moment in my life too, where I needed to think about how my, my time was being spent. I was just pregnant with my second child and some things going on in my life personally, where I decided this was the, this was the time to leap out into my own. And it was a little scary because I, I was actually pregnant with my second child, but through the connections that I developed in the healthcare organizations in, the, uh, in California in particular, I had contracts and work already lined up. So I would say that the, the biggest recommendation I have, and this is for no matter where you are in your career, is to always building um, genuine relationships and connections and maintaining those. And I, I'd say that's one of my, I, I don't know, I don't like to use the word superpowers, but it's something that really has always come naturally to me. And, uh, and I do it out of a genuine desire and interest in staying connected with people. Those connections though have paid off for me at all different times in my career from being a recent college graduate to uh, applying for a Fulbright scholarship and receiving it. I actually lived in Australia for four years and, uh, and then transitioning back into other, other jobs. And then having uh, the, the connections already built up from the work that I had done um, as an internal employee of several healthcare organizations to then have uh, people find out that I was starting my practice say, yes, of course we wanna work with you. And so it was a smooth and easy transition for me but it was because I had already built those relationships um, broadly as well. Uh, and then the second thing is, is just continue to learn. I, I got some great advice for a woman who had been one of my coaches and mentors when I was starting to practice lean thinking uh, and continuous improvement at Stanford Children's Hospital uh, about, gosh, it was almost a decade ago at this time. I reached out and she had her own very successful consulting practice. And it was actually her organization who had partnered with us at Stanford Children's to get us started on that, that learning journey. And her advice to me was don't sacrifice your own learning, even though you don't have somebody else paying for it now. Make sure you go to at least one conference or you're doing something that's to invest in your own learning to keep moving forward. Um, and that is an important part of your own business and your own growth. And so I, I would say that those two things have been really helpful um, for me. Uh, and also I would share that with you. So build your networks and maintain relationships genuinely and continue to invest in your own learning. 
are wonderful. I love I love both of those two points of advice. Um, something that resonates with me too. I, those are two things I've personally embodied, but two things that have at least gotten me the initial momentum that I am seeing. Um, Katie, I love to jump around just a little bit. Like I said, I already had my off script questions. Um, I hope my audience is used to me going way off script, no matter what. Uh, we'll love to talk about, uh, you mentioned, you know, your your book, but the relationship with uh, Mr. Yoshino specifically. Um, I would love to just learn, how did that come about? And again, when we get to some more information about your book, just the principles and the knowledge share seems just incredible. We'd love to kind of hear about that relationship. Well, I love this is a, a favorite topic of mine. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Mr. Yoshino is just such a special person, and it truly was serendipity about how this came to be. So it was just over six years ago, and we found out for, that my husband had an opportunity for our family to move to Japan. And fast forward a month later, July of 2014, gosh, we're getting, we're getting a long time ago. 2014, I was speaking at the Lean Coaching Summit in Long Beach, and I had reached out to John Shook to ask him about uh, living in Japan, and he generous, gen, uh, generously gave me an hour of his time, and we had a great conversation. But unbeknownst to me until I showed up at the conference, his former boss and mentor who actually, for those of you who have read John Shook's book, Managing to Learn All About the Athe Three Thinking Process, Mr. Yoshino was the uh, Sanderson character, the manager character. He was John's manager and he who based that whole model of what a manager and a leader is uh, for developing uh, problem solving capabilities in organizations. So, Anyway, I didn't know that at the time, but Mr. Yoshino was at the conference. He was up on stage talking with John Shook about their relationship as manager and director of port. And I was super excited, but also I was thinking, ooh, I'm moving to Japan in six months. Like, is there a way I can meet him? Well, of course I, I managed to um, get an introduction and we found ourselves talking to each other and he gave me his card. And, uh, you know, I found out later how much of a, you know, he is just so warm and generous and uh, really loves connecting with people too. So this was, this is just part of who he is. He gave me his card and said, when you move to Japan, look me up and come to Toyota City, come to Nagoya, I'll take you to Toyota City, we'll spend some time together. So, you know, what, eight months later, we arranged a time and I really thought it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. I made my husband take the day off of work. I'm like, Man, this is you're here in Japan for 18 months. You you have to go do this. We're gonna go to Toyota. This is amazing, uh, and so we we spent the day with Mr. Yoshino, and we just hit it off. Like we just we just had a great conversation and spent the day together. Um, and it wasn't just it wasn't him like just lecturing me. Like he was asking me questions. I was asking him questions, and this really became the foundation of our relationship of like sharing learning. And I was blown away when the, his email in response to me thanking him about that first meeting, he said something like, you know, you're thanking me for this meeting, but I'm thanking you. I've learned so much from your questions and the way you're thinking about things from your perspective being, you know, in your generation from American, from lean practitioner. And it's it was helping him think differently or more deeply about his time. And that really just became the foundation of our partnership together. And he generously gave me uh, permission to write about our conversations on my blog that I had just started. And so I was able to share that learning with other people as well. And so that that blog and that initial conversation, and then of course, I was jumping on the bullet train to get down and visit him at least every two months. You know, you got to carpe diem, you got to take advantage of these opportunities. Absolutely. Uh, and now, you know, since I've moved back to the US, we still see each other many times a year, well, the 2020 being, <laughs> 2020 being the exception and have partnered together in different learning opportunities, like speaking at conferences and offering workshops in Europe and the US. And he's part of my Japan study trips. And we had this, I just had this moment where I'm like, your stories are so rich. We need to dive deeper. Let me help you. Like, let's, let's write a book and let's, let, let's get your stories out into the world. There's so much rich history that he has from his experiences, some things that we're, we know of that are more famous for like the new me experience, but other like behind the scenes moments in time that were really instrumental in Toyota becoming this people-centered learning culture. And uh, so it, <clears throat> it became a much more intensive project than I uh, initially anticipated, but it has resulted in the book. And I'm just so thrilled and honored 
with all of the positive responses it's been getting. I did, you know, it's like over 85 five-star reviews and, uh, and, and it, people are saying it's impacting them as well as a, a source of learning. So that makes me happy. Well, Katie, um, I share with you also, um, I haven't had the chance to plug in with the book. That was one of our first uh, emails, I think, or, or LinkedIn messages back and forth. So I'm excited about the chance, but I did do my homework ahead of time um, to try to be a good uh, podcast host today. Um, you know, my impression just with the the things that I've read about the book, the feedback and some of the pointers and questions, you know, things that helped me jot down some questions for you today, just again, um, I personally feel that this could be like one of the most important lean literatures that have been uh, written in the recent times. Um, that was just my impression, just the, the stories, the feedback and the, um, um, you know, reviews that I've read about it. I was like, this is really interesting. And so, again, just on the outside looking in, I'm absolutely going to jump into the book personally, but um, just kudos to you for for that relationship. But telling his story. I can't wait to jump into it personally. Um, and that kind of leads me into maybe uh, I'm going to modify some of my questions just a little bit. But the next formal question is um, based on your background and expertise, what are three critical concepts or topics for um, healthcare quality professionals that they should have on their radar? But I'd love to connect that with any of those, again, just you know, solid, amazing principles from the book, what are three takeaways that uh, should be on the radar as it connects back into some of the things you've learned from your experiences? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm gonna answer this question by framing it in the simple but challenging to uh, actually implement or embody framework of leadership that comes back from that very first time I heard Mr. Yoshino up on the stage in 2014. And he was talking about his relationship with Mr. Uh, with John Shook. And he said that my role as a manager, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, in, it's all in the book. My role as a manager was to give John a mission or a target and then to help support him while he figured out how to achieve that target. And as I was developing John, I was aware that I was developing myself as well. And I've really taken this to see that the, the three most important purposes or roles that a leader can have is to set the direction, provide support, and develop yourself. And so um, let's go into that first one, set the direction. It's about setting a challenging target, about clearly communicating purpose, and also not just be focused on the outcome, but the process to get there. Um, but really, oftentimes, I, I work with organizations where you know, you're talking to maybe the middle management or some of the frontline workers, and they don't actually know the true target or challenge that they should be uh, aligning their efforts towards. Similarly, uh, Mr. Yoshino talks about how uh, targets or goals uh, should be seemingly impossible. So that to really stretch us to maybe like achieving more than we think we could possibly. And as this relates to healthcare, absolutely, we can't, I, I've sat in too many meetings where we're debating like, oh, what should our, our um, you know, our air rate be this year? What's an acceptable patient, you know, I don't know, patient risk or patient falls this year? No, it always yeah. should be zero. Zero, that's zero. <laughs> that's our challenge. Maybe we don't know how to get there today, but that's our challenge. That's the direction we need to set. And then how do we as leaders break that down so that we can help people move towards that? So that moves into the second one that, a leader's role is to provide the support. And this is all around the coaching, the mentorship, the teaching, asking questions, listening, and also creating space and, and time in an environment where people can experiment and learn and, and in a way that where failure on a small scale is safe and rewarded because failure is the source of learning and, and, and give that time for struggle, but not also struggling where people don't feel like they have the support. So it's this like balancing challenge, setting a challenge, but also providing nurture and support. So I think those are the two critical roles as it relates to achieving like the business objectives while developing people. And then the third part is always be developing ourselves as well. You know, we all have our strengths and our limitations. And so how are we as leaders at all levels in the organization constantly learning how to be more effective at doing both of those things. 
about achieving the business object objectives and developing people and uh, recognizing that we personally don't have all of the right answers. And so um, keeping that humility as well. So I would, I would say those, those, those three parts go across any organization, but, but really critical for our healthcare, um, healthcare colleagues and for sure. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I loved everything that you shared there from the direction to the support to developing yourself. Um, I, I guess I may start kind of from the bottom up, but one of, and it was interesting, I, I was literally in a conversation yesterday uh, with a leader who is an associate vice president of, of quality. And we were talking about some of her leadership strategies and things she's working on. And you know, parts of my feedback and coaching for her was that she needs a mentor. Um, you know, some of the colleagues at her level, I didn't think were good enough. She, you know, I, I just get this feeling, tremendous energy, tremendous talent. And so having someone, you know, John Maxwell talks about like the law of the lid, you can only lead up to a certain point, then you need someone to push you further. Um, that was kind of the, the mindset that came to mind. Um, for self-development, um, definitely at the executive level, because in healthcare, those are the leaders that we're looking up to, to either pull coaches and consultants like us in or to develop the teams that they already have. Would you have one or two tips for how they, for an executive leader who has umpteen years of experience and I've forgotten more than you already know, how, how do they go about recognizing that they need that support and, and additional coaching or development? Would you have one or two tips on that? Sure, and this is a, a large part of what I uh, help leaders with is creating and first that self-awareness and I call it leading, uh, leading with intention. So the word intention has always been very important to me and it create, when I moved to Japan, I discovered sort of a greater, bigger nuance of, of the word. I had business cards made and I didn't have a logo at the time. So I said, put the word intention on there. And I discovered that the, the two components that made up the, you know, the, the kanji of, of the word intention come from the simple heart and direction. And so it's about helping leaders. Well, so I'll say intentions like what's important, what's your purpose and how are you aligning your behaviors in alignment with that? So I go first, the first thing I say is to go back and help leaders reconnect with their purpose. More often than not, they, uh, you know, People are in a leadership role because they really genuinely care about people, but they may feel the pressures of the organization and other things that, that kind of distract them from that original, that, that, that sense of purpose. And so first reconnecting with that purpose um, as a leader, and then going through a discovery process of what are the actions that you take that are in alignment with that purpose? What are the things you do effectively? And what are the actions that maybe you're not even aware of that are not in alignment with that. And one of the examples, and I think this is for all of us who have been, you know, we're rewarded for being uh, the experts in a certain uh, area. And we, and it's, that's great. And especially in health, in a healthcare environment, most people who have been promoted and uh, gotten to the senior level ranks were there because they are like a, a successful doctor and physician or, you know, a successful, uh, you know, administrator, but they have deep content knowledge and expertise. But when they're jumping in and giving all the solutions and being super directive all the time, they're actually missing out on that capability of really developing learning um, across the organization. And they may be making assumptions about the work. So I help leaders identify too, where are they when they may think that they're helping by giving advice or saying what they're all their ideas or they're just running around because there's so many fires to put out. I mean, that's the sense in healthcare. Everything's a five alarm fire when actually it's not always a five alarm fire. So how can we slow down and ask more genuinely open-ended questions? And that can be so transformative uh, in, an, in an organization. And a recommendation that I got from one of my mentors in healthcare, who was actually a, a coach and who taught me a tremendous amount, she said that one of the nursing executives that she worked with found a way to kind of connect with that uh, intentionality for herself that she would go when she was doing rounds on a floor you know to to check in on problem solving and people were bringing forward problems she'd say i have great experience with this from my many years you know in in nursing 
but I don't know what's happening right here in this instance. Why don't you tell me what's happening here? It was her way of being able to acknowledge that yes, she's an expert. Yes, she has a tremendous amount of um, knowledge, but also checking her own habit of jumping in and making assumptions about what was happening in the moment. And that gave her then the opportunity to know, oh wow, they're actually doing a pretty good job of solving this problem themselves, or do they need some teaching or coaching, or they need, do they need some more questions here, or wow, they're really struggling, and maybe they need some more help in thinking about this. Um, so I, those are the things that I would say uh, for leaders at all levels, but particularly um, for more senior leaders, because uh, you know, it's, we need to be able to acknowledge our expertise but also connect with that purpose around developing people. All right, perfect, and I, I love that. Um, I wanna move up to um, you know, the focus for offering support for team members, team leaders to be successful. And um, you mentioned even kind of the, the mindset around failure yeah. and learning from failure. You know, unfortunately, in my experience, that's not the way healthcare leaders tend to think. We, we don't like failure. We wanna be perfect, and sometimes we will even delay action Mm. to become, you know, to create the perfect plan and, you know, the, the overall inability to even achieve results because we're, we're like scoping things out to the nth yeah. level. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, I don't know if it's a question or just a, a statement, but just a, an expression around the mindset of accepting failure. Um, I was just on a call earlier today with a group around their A3 project that they're working on. And we got to the PDCA cycle and I was like, guys, the PDCA cycle, we need to fail, fail fast, let's go. You know, this is this is what the cycle's for. It's not to be perfect, it's to fail fast and learn so we can, you know, move forward. Um, and even in, in that conversation, it was a lot of like, no and hesitation. Um, but what's your mindset? Just that everything I just kind of shared there in terms of fail, fail fast, you mentioned experimenting in the learning labs. I mean, how do we, how do we bolster that in the healthcare environment? So one, one way that I have found that is helpful is also differentiating between failure that's going to reach like the patient and do harm. So like, that's not okay. We need to put things in place, but where are safer places to fail? Like smaller parts of a process. So of course we do not want medicine to be delivered to the wrong patient. Right. We do not want right, <laughs> wrong site surgery. I mean, that, that, that is a not acceptable failure, but where are there ways that we can, uh, create more learning and, and create experimentation in processes that aren't going to have, that cause catastrophic failure, but really allow for that learning. So breaking it down into small parts. So we're in, in that we are truly embracing, not just the plan, plan, do, plan, do, plan, do, or even just plan, 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 as you said, but plan, do, study, adjust, the true PDCA cycle. And uh, I get into this in the book that reflection really is the beginning of learning and, and not the end. And so we really should be looking at like studying and adjusting and really strengthening that muscle for, for ourselves. There's a story in the book that's it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Mr. Yoshino hadn't remembered it for, oh my gosh, almost 40 years. And it was when he was a first, it was like a young college grad. He was in his orientation at Toyota and he made a big mistake. He was assigned to the paint shop to start learning, even though he was only he was going to be a back office, you know, have a desk job type of role. And he was assigned for two months to the to the actual production floor. And he had to pour in two cans of paint, the solvent and the paint to mix it. And this, then it was going to be sprayed out onto the cars. Well, one day uh, the paint wasn't sticking and the, the, the paint manager runs in and is like, what's or the, the shop floor manager? Like, what's what's going on? Hundred cars. The long, long story short, 100 cars had to be repainted. Mr. Yoshino had put the wrong, mixed the wrong cans in the, 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 the jar or the whatever, the, the vat. And he was really freaked, you know, worried that he was going to get blamed or yelled at or maybe even fired. And he was 22 years old in his first job. But not only did the, the managers not yell at him or blame him, they actually paused and said, thank you for making that mistake. It's made us understand that we did not set up the conditions for you to be successful. The, can, the paint cans had been, it was not very clearly labeled. The, the shop wasn't maybe very well 5S or you know, the, the layout. There wasn't really clear standard work. And so that was their responsibility to set up the conditions for him to be successful. He wasn't, he was the one who made the mistake, but it was their responsibility to create those conditions for him 
not to make that mistake. So those are two different types of examples, but I uh, also to be able to have room for failure to be okay, we also have to create a management and leadership response that, uh, that embraces failure and mistakes as a source of learning. Uh, because otherwise we do have this fear that we just need to plan for perfection and never, never experiment our way towards, towards that learning. So uh, both are really important, but we don't ever want that failure to be, you know, catastrophic. So. Right. Correct. And, you know, Katie, that, that story from Mr. Yoshino, I think just kind of blew me away personally, um, you know, has not definitely been my experience within healthcare. And I, I've been in healthcare over 13 years now. Um, doing this type of work, as you shared that story, and again, I'm I'm way off track, but I'll get us back on task and keep us keep us on time with everything here. Um, but it, it did make me um, make me think about the healthcare leader's responsibility for driving the appropriate culture, and you know, just big picture culture. Um, because I, I will say again, just from my experience there seems to be this desire to do lean and to implement, you know, lean mindsets, lean tools, but I don't always think we appreciate the lean culture that we're also supposed to deliver um, down to, you know, leaders accepting their staff members mistake. That is, that's, that story is really powerful personally. Um, last maybe question, and I'll try to get us back on some form of, of structure with my, my show template here, but um, what what are your thoughts, just again, very high level, but around um, the leader's job to drive the appropriate culture overall? What are some difference, maybe that differences that you may have seen from your experience in Japan or the things learned from that experience compared to maybe your original healthcare experience in terms of culture and, and improvement? Uh, just all of the above. So catch all kind of a question, but yeah. that that's really where that that story took my took my thoughts. So. You know, I would say this transcends culture or industry or organization, and it really does get back to uh, purpose and mm. leaders' commitment to that purpose. So, you know, Toyota has this motto, like, we, we make people while we make cars. So, like, making people, developing yeah. people is the important part of being able to create their product. And so they lead with that purpose. And it, it's not that across the organization at all times. And as you'll discover in the book, there was some real intentional, uh, as Mr. Yoshino says, retightening of the belt, like coming in with some really clear retraining programs to reinforce the management capabilities and the, the culture they wanted. But it starts with the, the senior most leadership uh, team and really living that. And uh, you can make improvements from the middle, but really changing the culture starts with each person looking at their own contributions to creating that culture. One of, I think back to the story or the experience of the, the Numi plant, which was the, in the 1980s, the joint venture between GM and Toyota. And Mr. Yoshino was part of develop, but he actually led the training program of this. But it was this incredible story of going for GM, going from the worst plant in one year to like one of the best plants. And it was because of the focus on giving people the opportunity to uh, learn and giving people coaching and also being very clear on the direction and the purpose of the organization and also creating this no blame, this no blame culture. So it starts with the very little things and for leaders to, you know, as you were saying like, oh, we see all these tools. Oh yeah, everyone else there out there can go do, do this lean thing. No, it also needs to start with what am I going to do as a leader? How does how do my actions actually how are they how are they connected to the outcomes that we're seeing in the organization, the culture, um, and what do I need to do differently? So it gets back to that last point about developing yourself as well. Right. So uh, what I what I took away from that just to uh, to move us forward is that I need to hurry up and get my hands on this book because I have Absolutely. a lot to learn. <laughs> the, rich, the richness of learning. And I'm developing awesome. a companion study guide too. So I'll, uh, I'll let you know about that when that's out. All right, wonderful. Um, next question that I have for you, Katie. Uh, would love if you could share a personal favorite go-to tool or technique for any of your approaches around lean or, or leadership training that you work with. Oh, there's, there's so many, but I, I would go back to from a tool um, standpoint, which is really, 
the, the, the A3 thinking structure and, uh, and how important that the distinction is from that being a tool to rather being a structure that supports problem solving thinking and enables really this coaching and uh, mentoring relationship and communication uh, across different organizations. It helps uh, the concept of an A3 helps us not only become better problem solvers ourselves, but also coaches of problem solvers. And these two very different actually capabilities are needed in our organization. And so the A3 thinking process about truly understanding what a problem is and going out to validate what's actually happening by going to see or going to Gemba as it's called in Japanese, being very clear on what the actual target or goal is, uh, and then understanding how we're going to experiment our way towards there uh, is so powerful. However, that being said, I'm sure as you know, you were just mentioning, you're talking to some other teams about their A3 here is that too often it can be just seen as a, a template to fill out and it yes. misses the true intention of it as a tool um, to support deeper problem solving thinking and communication up and down and across the organization. But I, I think, it, I know for me, it's been a really helpful uh, thinking process to create alignment in organizations and develop capabilities. And you can also use it for your own personal development too, which I have a lot of resources on my blog about that. So it can be that same process, you know, you're wanting to improve yourself. Well, what are my strengths? What are my limitations? What do I need to do to move towards better? What is my goal? And then creating that process plan for yourself. So uh, there's so much richness around that tool. Right, perfect. Um, I, I appreciate hearing that because it is one of my favorite things, uh, elements to really introduce to a team who's just starting on their, their improvement journeys and so forth. So um, I, I respect that answer. I love it. Um, next question for you. This is almost a toss up as I read through this one, but it is officially on the, on the All template right. here. Um, Katie, I would love if you could share an industry relevant leader that has had the most influence on your career and what was the impact? Oh, only one. <laughs> Do you want a healthcare leader because of, or, you know, how about one healthcare, one non-healthcare? Okay. Um, oh my gosh. There's, there've been, there've been so many. Well, of course, I would say the non-healthcare one, uh, no, gosh, there's, there, there's so many. We'll start with, we'll start with, um, we'll start with healthcare, but there's so many people in that, what I like to call the chain of learning. So that have been really influential to me, but okay. um, what was, what's, was really, I would say James Hereford, who is now the CEO of Fair, Fairview Health um, in uh, Minnesota. I went to work for him as the director of the Lean Promotion Office at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation after nearly six years of working at Stanford Children's Health. And James is a leader who, you know, walks, <laughs> walks the walk, walks the talk. He, it was so, uh, and we only worked together for eight months because he got recruited to then be the COO of Stanford Hospital, the adult side. But the, what he was doing by setting the direction and setting the culture and leading the way, like he really embodied those uh, principles of set, set the direction, provide support, and also developing himself, it created so much energy at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation that we were able to move forward very fast and, and really start developing leadership capabilities at all levels uh, because of that vision. And also he was out there modeling the way. And so it was, it's, you know, you can't always have a leader who knows, <laughs> who knows the way from the beginning, but having that experience to work with someone and for someone who already had uh, embraced those concepts for himself as a leader was, um, was really powerful. And I learned, learned a lot from him. Uh, so, and, but I've had some other great healthcare uh, bosses as well. Well, then, I was, well, I was going to ask maybe rapid fire off the top of your thoughts. Who are who are some other leaders? Um, if, if you know, shout out mode, if nothing all else. Right, well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll notice when you get the book that I have a really long acknowledgement section because I okay. like, oh, I need to acknowledge all the people who are really incredible in my chain of learning. And there's so many. But uh, the other the other really influential uh, boss that I had from a healthcare pers um, perspective was Brad Toussaint who I reported to at Stanford Children's Hospital for many years. And now we've par we partner together on a lot of different um, healthcare uh, consulting engagements as well. But Brad really allowed me the space to grow and learn and supported all of my, uh, my, my vision to like bring lean, help bring like learn about lean and bring it to 
Stanford Children's and supported me in so many different ways and allowed me the space to learn. And I actually chose to work at the organization because of my interaction with him during my interview process. And it was a real pleasure. He, he really supported my, uh, my personal growth and development. So that was, that was tremendous. And then, uh, oh my gosh, there are a few people on the, the non-healthcare the non side. Although I'd say Margie Hegany crosses over because she, we hired her on Jim Hereford's request uh, to help our organization when I was the director of their lean promotion office. And then Margie became my sort of personal coach and, and mentor as well. She helped me uh, learn more deeply A3 thinking and be a better coach around all of that. And then when I started my consulting practice, also helped uh, support and develop me in, in my, my, my skills and my practice. And, and, and so I owe a lot to her and then um, as well. And then of course, Mr. Yoshino, um, who is, you know, you've already heard a lot about him. Although we've really been more partners than anything else, um, but of course he's a mentor given his wealth of experience and knowledge. All right, wonderful. No, thank you for all of those different influences. I um, I usually try to find some of the leaders that are noted and if we tag them you know, on the post or LinkedIn or anything else. So um, thank you for the recognition. Um, Katie, I'm gonna go way off course. Like this question is not even on my template here, but it was a question I wrote down and would love to ask. Um, so to give it some context, I had the opportunity um, to teach Lean and Six Sigma for Emory University, um, which I still do for the past couple of years now. And just as I researched you further in preparation for our call today, um, I saw you also have faculty roles at Catalysis and with LEI. Uh, would love if you could share with us um, how did you spark that relationship? And, you know, again, for our listeners who may have a passion or a desire, right? You even said um, as we teach and coach each other or others, we will develop ourselves. Um, how can others kind of follow or, or just kind of learn something from the approach that you went through to, to develop those connections? Yeah, so I'll start with Catalysis. So, uh, from both my roles at Stanford Children's Hospital and then um, at Palo Alto Medical Foundation, I was one of the key contacts with the, at the time, the Theta, they were called the ThetaCare uh, Center for Healthcare Value and they rebranded uh, a bunch of years ago to be called Catalysis, but they have our developing healthcare networks. And I was, uh, I was involved in that from being, you know, the internal, internal person. And then when I started my consulting practice, because going back to our earlier conversation, already having cultivated and developed relationships, uh, I had those relationships there, as well as Margie, who was my coach and mentor at that time. Uh, she was one of the, uh, the primary faculty members teaching coaching for improvement and coaching skills. And she helped, uh, she identified me as one of the people she wanted to coach and develop to be able to amplify the messages of her, uh, of the things that she was teaching. And so she helped bring me into Catalysis to also teach, um, teach coaching skills to healthcare leaders. And, and then, so it was a combination of my prior relationship with Catalysis through my internal roles, as well as, um, as Margie really advocating for me to be one of her uh, I guess amplification uh, uh, to be able to reach more more healthcare leaders, and of course, then I developed other things that I was doing with Catalysis as well. And then uh, my my role at uh, at LEI again was very. It's sort of it's my my partnership with them has become just because I have uh, been connected. I've gone to conferences. I've made relationships. And when I came back from when I came back from Japan, it was, they asked me to join as a faculty member. They liked some of the content that I was speaking at uh, conferences about more as, you know, a, not, you know, like a breakout and then the breakout session. And they said, Hey, you know, I like what you're doing. Can you develop some content that we could also offer at our, um, you know, to, to our conference goers and future and future venues. And so I did, and I actually have been teaching at the LEI annual conference since since then, you know, we had a had a sold out workshop in April. Of course, you know, everything everything was everything's changed. So again, it's both. Um, it goes back to the developing relationships and and I making see. connections and and uh, and and doing good work, I guess, as well. All right. So one of the uh, consistent themes I always. Uh, do try to push on the podcast is for our quality people to be the experts 
and then the power and networking and developing good relationships. Those are those are the takeaways that I heard as you shared those um, two, at least two last questions I have for you just to kind of come back to the script. But um, Katie, I would love just to get your your thoughts on what you see as the number one challenge and the number one opportunity for today's healthcare quality professionals. Oh, man, that's it. I mean, heavy question, right? <laughs> that's a heavy question. I don't think that there is any. Uh, there's no easy one answer, uh, but I would say for people in a, in a consulting role, in a quality improvement role, where you're really, you know, leading by influence and there to help teach the organization and lead them around quality and continuous improvement, to ground yourself again, and we're going back to this concept of um, coaching and leading with intention. What's your purpose as a role as a coach? Because it's so easy for us to fall into the problem solver mode because typically people who gravitate for these type of roles are love solving problems. I mean, I was, that's me too. I love to get in there and think and, and do it. But part of our role is to develop other people's capabilities to do that about the work that they own. So I think back to my early days at Stanford Children's Hospital when we were sort of deployed to different departments um, to go help them and in my excitement to help. And we did a lot of great quality and process improvement work. But when then I was deployed somewhere else, we kind of things sort of degraded. And it wasn't because I was so special, but it's because we didn't put the systems and structures in place to be able to maintain and sustain uh, it or had developed the capabilities of the leaders. So quality improvement, continuous improvement professionals, recognize that an important part of your role is not just to be doing the process improvement or the quality improvement, but also teaching and creating the system so that allow for sustainability and improvement once you are no longer intimately involved in what. Perfect. No, I think that's a great take home message. Um, I have one of my formal questions um, on the template here is if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? But I would obviously love to turn that around just to learn more about um, your book and then just give us some takeaways. What, what can we look forward to as we, we pick it up and read it and just learn from your writings and uh, Mr. Yoshino? So learning to lead, leading to learn. Lessons from Toyota leader Isao Yoshino on a lifetime of continuous learning by Katie Anderson <laughs> is my recommendation. But really, I wrote this for the um, with the intention it, for it to be a point of learning for people, not just learning and about great stories and experiences. But I included questions at the end of every section that I call practicing Hansei. Hansei being the word for self-reflection in Japanese. And in fact, practicing Hansei was my original working title of the book because it's through reflection where we have learning. And so I, I put those questions in there so that you can reflect on the stories and think about your own life and your own leadership practices and your own organization. Uh, and it's a fun, I, 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 when I started writing the book, I thought that the structure would be sort of, you know, 10 leadership practices and then write some stories underneath it or, you know, whatever number, but structured more from the lessons. I was getting stuck writing. I was like, oh, we don't need another book that just sort of professes the, you know, the 10 leadership practices. I realized that the telling the stories and letting the lessons for people emerge through the stories was the, was the more powerful way and much more enjoyable both to write and from other people's responses clearly to read as well. So these are stories, this book is full of stories, but it's also purposeful stories that are constructed in a way for you to learn about history, to learn about leadership, to learn about yourself, uh, and to learn about some of the fundamental practices and um, concepts that underlie how to create a culture of learning and that is focused on de developing people. Um, uh, and so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And even you mentioned you're going to create a, um, a learning guide with it. Um, because again, just from the research that I did, it sounds like there are so many um, very important development, leadership development principles to take home. Um, so I'm excited about it. I, I really appreciate um, learning more about the book, learning more about you, Katie. Um, my last official question, which is a closer, but let's say that we're sitting here a year from now celebrating what a great year it's been. And of course, no more COVID, but um, you know, we're celebrating what a great year it's been. 
take a second to think about it, but what exactly did we achieve this year and how are we celebrating? Is that a clarifying question for you? Is that sure. for what I achieved this year or what did we collectively as the yeah. world? Uh, you, you, <laughs> yeah, we're sitting here to celebrate your success. So I would uh, love to see the book in just so many more hands. And uh, some people have suggested that we apply for the Shingo award. So, I mean, that would be awesome yes. to receive that. But of course, you know, that's, that's something for me personally, it would be getting back to Japan uh, and being able to lead my Japan study trips. I had one in May and in October sold out. We've had to put them on pause, um, of course, for COVID. So I'd love, hopefully, be able to do at least one next year, considering that we're all safe. Uh, and you know, having been able to connect with and help many people take on the lessons of learning, of how to learn to lead, and then how to lead to learn, and really to live and lead with intention. So across. Um, you know, different platforms as well, you know, so, and I'd love to get back and see people. I love, I mean, it's, uh, it would be, I'd love to get back and be able to do some conferences or um, have some in-person workshops. Of course, virtual is, is better than, better than nothing, but I'm a, I'm a people person. So that's great. So I, I don't know if I, I have to think about that a little bit more deeply about how, how will I measure success? Uh, but, but certainly it's easy around the book and around the, um, and around the Japan trips and the rest is sort of a work in process, but, but knowing that people were impacted in a positive way. No, I'll take it. I love the, uh, the mindset there. And um, my mother lived in um, Okinawa, Japan for a few years. And oh, so really? I had, had the chance to visit and spend some time there. Um, the, you know, the, the country was amazing. The culture was amazing. The food was really amazing. Mm. Um, so if, uh, if, and when those trips start back, I'll try to stay connected. And if there's a chance that I can join in, um, trust me, I am there. Um, but Katie, I really appreciate, um, just the time to connect with you today. I really appreciate the contribution to the show and sharing with our quality people. Uh, would love, uh, before I let you go, last question, but, um, how can we connect with you or follow you on social media? and then I'll officially let you go. All right, so great. My, uh, my handle on almost everything, including my website is KBJ Anderson. So Brian Jones was my pre-married last name. So those are my initials, kbjanderson.com is my website. Twitter is uh, at KBJ Anderson. LinkedIn forward slash KBJ Anderson. And then there's also the, uh, so you can subscribe to my blog as well. And then the book website is learning to lead leadingtolearn.com and you can buy it on Amazon or other online platforms as well. All right, perfect. Now, thank you again for that, Katie. And to all our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Katie, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.